Let's pray, shall we? Well, Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for this amazing story from your word. I want to thank you for the promise that was given, not just to those disciples, but to us, the promise of your Holy Spirit. And we just say we're so thankful that your Holy Spirit has been poured out uh, on us. And we ask you today for a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit on each one of us. We just ask you, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would be at work amongst us. Your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. Your Holy Spirit would instruct us that your Holy Spirit would lead us on into uh, just following after you and becoming more and more like you, Jesus. I pray that you'd speak to us through your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I am Dave, um, and uh, uh, I'd like to add my welcome to uh, that of Owen uh, earlier on. Uh, as Owen uh, said, we're, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday, and so we're going to take a break uh, from our series in Luke's Gospel entitled On the Road with Jesus, uh, because this is a hugely significant day in the church calendar. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think of meeting at Christmas without talking about the birth of Jesus. You know, we wouldn't think of meeting at Easter without actually considering uh, all of the events that led up to that first Easter week, uh, the cross and the resurrection three days later, and all that that means uh, for us. And we know this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday or Whit Sunday. We're going to look at the events that we remember today when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the apostles. And it's recorded for us by Luke in his second book, in the Acts of the Apostles, in that passage that Anne read to us. It's such an important day as it marks the birth of the church. It's as if ignition has taken place. You know, the rocket's on the launch pad and ignition has taken place. And the church is propelled into action. The church is propelled into action, and it's irreversible. It's set off, and it's not uh, going to stop. And to place this passage in context, Jesus had been with his disciples for 40 days since his resurrection. Uh, when he talked about, to them about the Holy Spirit coming on them. He hadn't been with them continuously, but he'd been around so he'd, he'd been sharing meals with them. He continued to teach them. They'd prayed together. They talked together. After the shattering experience for them of knowing uh, of Jesus being taken from them and crucified, they'd now got used to having him around again. Life for them was about to change again. No sooner than he promised them that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he was taken from them again. He ascended back to his Father in heaven. This was some roller coaster for the disciples. Before leaving them, he gave them clear instructions as to what they were to do. We then find them seven days later in Jerusalem, as instructed. It was the Feast of Pentecost 
celebrated by the Jews 50 days after the Passover. Pent meaning 50. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks, observed by the Jews on the seventh Sabbath after the Passover. So at Passover, the first barley sheaf would be brought as an offering to God in the temple, and then the 50th day, the Feast of Pentecost, marked the completion of the barley harvest, a time of celebration. Pentecost is therefore also referred to by some Jews as the Feast of the Harvest. This was an important festival, an important festival in the Jewish calendar, so much so that Jews would travel from far and wide to come and celebrate the feast, to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Our passage talks about the whole multitude of devout men from every nation under heaven, possibly up to 70 different nationalities gathered together in Jerusalem, representing all the countries around the Mediterranean region. This is a massive passage, and there's so much that we could get from it if we were to work through it verse by verse. Uh, I'm not proposing to do that, so you'll be relieved uh, at that. Uh, There's more than one Sunday message in this. But I want us to look at the impact, the promise and its fulfillment had on those apostles and how this can and should be true for us today. In doing so, I don't want to be prescriptive. We can't box in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus that he needed to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God, he said, the wind, or the Holy Spirit, blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So we can't tie down the Holy Spirit to a place or a time. But there are things the apostles did and that we can do that will prepare us for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what those things are. So firstly, they were expectant because of the promise that Jesus had given them. These men had been with Jesus throughout his ministry. They'd seen how he interacted with people. They'd heard his teaching. They'd seen him perform many miracles. They knew from experience that he was trustworthy, that he meant what he said, that he delivered on his promises. They knew him to be reliable and one in whom they could have confidence. So when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, they didn't question him. He'd previously given him them this same promise. If you look in John's Gospel on chapter 16, Jesus says, to his disciples, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. (coughs) On this occasion, the promise wasn't time-specific. 
it was clear that the helper or the Holy Spirit would come after Jesus had been taken from them. But it wasn't clear when that would be. However, in the passage that Anne read to us earlier, Jesus introduces a time frame that must have made the promise become much more urgent and certain and pressing. He says, not many days from now. Okay, so we're not talking about years and we're not talking about months or actually not even weeks. It's a matter of days away. And when he was taken from them immediately after this, maybe his previous reference to the helper coming came flooding back to them. He's gone. He promised. So the coming of the helper can't be far off. I wonder how we treat God's promises to us. I guess we all talk in generalities about God being faithful and dependable, unchangeable. But how do we treat the promises he's given us in his word? How do we treat the promises that he gives us through the Holy Spirit? In Luke's gospel in chapter 11, following on from his teaching the disciples how to pray, Jesus talks about how an earthly father deals with requests from his son. He then goes on to say, if you then, who are evil, you know, that's us, isn't it? Yeah, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you're a Christian today, you've received the Holy Spirit. But to be truly effective in following Jesus and to be used by him, we need more than this. When he wrote to the church in Ephesus, the apostle Paul exhorted them not to get drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been drunk, you don't have to put your hands up. Um, <laughs> if you've ever been drunk, and the Bible teaches against that, you will know that gradually the effects wear off. It's much the same for us as Christians. You know, we're leaky vessels, you know? Um, it's Paul's exhortation could be translated, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just once, keep on being filled, or be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's clear that the requirement on us is to ask. We have to ask. That's our piece of the contract, if you like. And it's equally clear that we have a Father in heaven who hears us when we ask, one who is faithful and who will fill us with his Holy Spirit. Let's not hold back from asking. Let's do so daily. Let's be expectant and receive his infilling. Secondly, they were in the right place. And you know, it's so important that we're in, we're in his will. It's the safest and it's the best place that we can be. So these disciples were in the right place. In the first section of that reading, Luke tells us 
that Jesus is speaking with the apostles and giving them their instructions for when he was no longer with them. Throughout his ministry, he tried to prepare them for his sufferings, for his death, his resurrection. And he also told them that they won't be alone. He tells them that the helper will come, that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now that time was fast approaching. Jesus ordered them, yes, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit. When he gave this instruction, they were on the far side of the Mount of Olives, possibly in Bethany, a village some two miles outside of Jerusalem, where they were staying before the events of Easter week. Jesus is very clear that from then until the time the Holy Spirit came, they were to remain in Jerusalem. So they headed back there. After the events that took place some six weeks earlier and the hostility that Jesus faced, maybe Jerusalem was the last place they wanted to be. Jerusalem might not have seemed a safe place for them to be, let alone the hub from which the gospel would be proclaimed. Yet Jesus was quite specific and very insistent. Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus did this so that everything that had been written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms would be fulfilled. Centuries before, the prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had said, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So it was to be. The prospect of remaining in Jerusalem and the task assigned to them may have seemed daunting, may have been completely overwhelming to them. We've been with Jesus and his disciples on the road as we've worked through Luke's gospel over the past few weeks. We've seen their need of him and their lack of faith. Remember the time when they were on the boat in the lake, on the lake? Yep. And the storm came up and caused them to fear for their very lives. Or the time when the disciples wanted to send the crowd home because they couldn't see a way in which they could be fed. The times when they vied for position with one another and for status. They deserted Jesus when he was arrested. And later when challenged, Peter denied even being a follower of Jesus. Time and time again, they displayed their frailty and their weakness. So like me. So like us, maybe. And yet it was to this group of men that Jesus gave the promise and the commission to be his witnesses. Not just throughout Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. Something had to change for this to happen. Our passage tells us exactly what that something is. Jesus promises that they will receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. Power to be his witnesses. This is the helper referred to in the passage we read from John's Gospel. What an amazing promise. Is it an amazing promise? Yeah, it is. Oh, we're so British, aren't we? Um, 
It's an amazing promise and an amazing day that we celebrate today. So for all of this to happen, it was clear they had to stay in Jerusalem. They had to be obedient to the direction they'd received. At the beginning of Acts 2, we read that they were all together in one place. And that place was Jerusalem. Could Jesus have baptized them with the Holy Spirit in Bethsaida, Bethany, Capernaum, or any other place? Well, yes, of course he could. But that's not the point. The point was that he had instructed them where they were to be. And they needed to be obedient to his will. God is sovereign. We know that to be the case, don't we? God is sovereign. And he can do whatever he wants, with whoever he wants, and when he wants. You know, that's our God. But there's something about being in his will. Something about living our lives under his guidance and direction. For these apostles, being in the right place wasn't just a matter of location, but it was a matter of timing as well. To fulfill what Jesus had instructed, they must have gathered in that place and been together for some seven days until the Holy Spirit was poured out. They didn't spend their time in idle chit-chat. We're told that with one accord, they devoted themselves to prayer. (laughs) That's strange, isn't it? These same disciples who'd struggled to stay awake to pray with Jesus before the crucifixion, now that he was no longer with them, had a passion to pray. If you and I want to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a lesson here for us in being serious about our walk with God. Serious about the choices we make. How we spend our time and the way we prioritize is a good indicator of our seriousness. For example, how much time do we spend each day or each week watching television, you know, soaps or sport or even the news on television, or maybe surfing the the internet, compared with the amount of time we spend on our knees before God and in God's word. It may be there's nothing inherently wrong with the other things we do with our time, but it's a question of where God features in our priorities. The third aspect I want us to look at is that they were used. These disciples were used. They were equipped now with boldness, faith, and confidence in God, and they were used. Moving on to the day of Pentecost, can you imagine how these disciples were feeling? It had been one week now since they'd been told to wait in Jerusalem, a week since they, the, the one in whom they trusted had been taken from them, He'd promised when he went that the helper would come. They'd believed. They were trusting. And they were doing what they'd been told to do. But if they were anything like me, or possibly like you, they might have had moments of doubt, of questioning. Did did he really say 
how, how long were we to wait? What if he doesn't come? Then suddenly, suddenly the Holy Spirit came, just as had been promised. His coming was dramatic. It sounded like a mighty wind, like tongues of fire were resting on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way, no way in my mind that they would have expected such things. They might have tried to imagine what being baptized with the Holy Spirit would be like. What would it feel like? But they wouldn't have got anywhere close to this. And they spoke in tongues. Words and sounds were coming out of their mouths that they'd never uttered before and that they didn't understand. We know that the gift of tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit. But these tongues were distinguishable to the people who were around them. We're told that each person heard them speak in his own language. It was truly remarkable. All this commotion drew the attention of the crowd. Well, it would, wouldn't it? You know? You've seen scenes you know, on the high street sometimes when somebody's standing there and, uh, and something spectacular is going on. The crowds gather around. But these crowds were gathered for the feast and their attention was captured. As often happens when the Holy Spirit moves in power, opinion was divided as to what was happening. Some were genuinely puzzled, amazed and curious as to what was taking place. While others just took the mickey. Yeah? <laughs> they must be drunk. You know, even though it was early in the day, you know, well, these guys must be drunk. You know, when the Holy Spirit is at work in people today, we can often see the same response. As a young Christian, when I first encountered people uh, being, uh, speaking in tongues and other manifestations of the Spirit's work, I ran a mile. I thought, what's going on? I, I don't want anything to do with these people. What's going on? It was only when I became curious and actually when I started reading God's word more and saw what was happening in the early church and received teaching that I understood. And I came to a place where I asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll be bringing uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit and about the gifts that he dist distributes amongst his people and about the... Uh, the, the character, the fruit that our lives should display in months to come. We need a whole series on each to do justice to such important topics. You can read for yourself. I mean, you can read in Paul's writings to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you can read of uh, spiritual gifts. And in Romans 12, and you can read of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I'd encourage you to do some reading, to read them for yourself and to seek God for his Holy Spirit. For the moment, we just need to know that speaking in tongues was just one, just one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's generally given for us to use in private as, a, as an aid to us to praise God. You know, when our hearts are so full of praise for him that uh, our native tongue, I won't assume it's English, but our native tongue 
uh, can't express our praise to him, then we can praise him in tongues. When someone shares in tongues in a public meeting, there should be someone present who can give interpretation to that tongue. Otherwise, you know, what's spoken is of no benefit to those present. In this instance, though, the words that were spoken were intelligible to everyone around. They heard them speaking in their own language. Bear in mind, these apostles were not educated men, not highly educated. They, they were Galileans. They weren't linguists. The gift that was given to them was for a specific purpose, the specific purpose of, of communicating to the assembled crowd. I've heard of other instances, much more recently when the Holy Spirit has given people words to speak in a language that they didn't know, but was a language that was relevant to people who were within earshot of them. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to each of us as believers. You may, may have the gift of prophecy or of wisdom, of teaching, of speaking in tongues, of mercy, or any of the other gifts. What is key is that we acknowledge the gifts that we've been given and that we use them. We don't just hold them. How would you feel if you gave your spouse or your child or grandchild a present and they took the present and just placed it on the shelf? Didn't even bother to unwrap it, let alone open what was in the box. They just placed it on the shelf unwrapped and unopened to gather dust. Wouldn't seem very appreciative, would it? The gifts we've been given by the Holy Spirit are for us to use. We're told that they're given to us for purpose, to build up others. They're not given to us to make us look good or so that we can compare our gifting with other people's gifting. We need each other. And the giftings of all are for the church to flourish and to bring glory to God. Fourthly, and finally, uh, we're going to look at the fact that they were fruitful. Now that they were more fully equipped with God's power and God's love, they were fruitful. Let's remind ourselves of the promise that the apostles were given. We read in the section from Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. The promise was that they would be empowered. That these men who had demonstrated all manner of weakness and frailty, who'd been frightened and timid and lacking in faith, full of self-doubt, would suddenly receive power. And it was power with a purpose. Jesus was commissioning them to launch out and be his witnesses. The ones who would carry forward the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, and the offer of salvation. In and of themselves, this would never have happened. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, Everything changed. In choosing Jerusalem as the location and the Feast of Pentecost as the timing and in giving the disciples the 
the gift of tongues. Jesus created the perfect launch pad for the church. The disciples were surrounded by thousands and their attention was captured by the commotion that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter, a man who seven weeks before wouldn't even admit to being one of Jesus' followers, but now a man transformed and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit, seizes the opportunity and stands up and delivers an amazing message. He delivers an amazing account of Jesus and his ministry and then directly accuses them, directly accuses the crowd of crucifying him. We're told that people were cut to the heart and wanted to know what they should do. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we read, or Anne read, that there were 3,000 who responded on that day. 3,000 who would go back to their own country, carrying the good news of Jesus. This was the launch of the church. 3,000 people going to their own country, with the good news of Jesus. This was indeed the feast of the harvest, a harvest of souls rather than a harvest of barley. If you're here today listening in, or or, or listening in at home, probably a lot warmer than we are here in the marquee, um, and you haven't recognized yet your need of forgiveness and responded to the call to follow Jesus, The message of Peter is for you today. The call to repent and be baptized and the promise of the Holy Spirit to empower you. It's for you today. You may not have been present when Jesus was crucified, but for sure it was your sins and mine that he suffered and died. If you are a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit within you. The promise is that he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. He's given you gifts to be used. The Spirit is within you for a purpose. We've been commissioned in the same way as these disciples were. We're called to make disciples of all nations. Our call is to share Jesus with those around us. And when they've come to believe, to help build them up and strengthen them so that they can take the good news forward. This is an amazing event in history. But it's amazing also that the gift of the Holy Spirit is available to us today. I'm going to pray, and then perhaps Abby and the van would come back up and lead us in some more worship. Let me encourage you... uh, to use this time to ask the Holy Spirit to touch you, to open your eyes afresh to the message of the gospel if you've not responded to Jesus before, or to be filled with the Holy Spirit again today. If during our time of worship you feel prompted, let me encourage you to bring you know, a picture, a prophetic word, or to pray, share it with Owen or myself uh, before doing so. And if it seems right, then 
we'll ask you to share it with uh, those who are here in the marquee and those who are online. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we identify so clearly with these disciples of old who, you know, in themselves were weak, in themselves were frightened, in themselves would never have been able to take forward the good news of the gospel. We find ourselves in that position. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you ascended to the Father, that you sent the Spirit. You sent the Spirit to empower your disciples, and you send the Spirit today to empower us as your people. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, for a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit this afternoon. We pray that you would empower us again. We pray that you would invigorate us again. We pray that you would help us to take seriously the commission that you have given us to preach the good news, the gospel, to preach the good news of the gospel to the people of Wokingham, to to be lights for you in this place, to be those who will carry your word to the people in our town and its locality, to our neighbors, to our friends. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would empower us again. I pray, Lord Jesus, you help us to take seriously the commission that you have given to us and not to keep to ourselves the good news of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we just ask you for a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit. Empower us, use us, Lord Jesus. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen.